Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have just read your words. May we have ears to hear, O Lord. Make these words come to life right now. Anoint each one of us, O Lord. Speak to each one of us right now. Help us understand these words. May your Holy Spirit convict us and draw us and remind us of your truth and love for us. I am your servant, your mouthpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. St. Augustine once famously said, we were ensnared by the wisdom of the serpent. We were set free by the foolishness of God. What the serpent did was undone, revoked, rebuked by God in his son, Jesus Christ, for all of us. This is the great love of God for us. And I might as well tell us right here at the start that in Jesus Christ, meaning all of us who place our trust, our faith in Jesus Christ are called, are declared the beloved sons and daughters of God. We have to establish that early this morning, that you and I in Jesus Christ are the beloved sons and daughters of God. One of the enormous spiritual tasks for the Christian is to affirm this claim every day of our lives. We have to claim it as a truth that sets us free from all the lies and all the false narratives that we hear. No, we have to affirm that we are the beloved sons and daughters of God in Christ. We have to claim this truth and live a life based on this knowledge and on this truth. This must be our foundation for all of life. Nothing more, nothing less. Sadly, though, this is not very easy. In fact, most of us fail constantly to claim this truth who we really are. During Lent, which we're in the season of now, we acknowledge we are sinners, needing God's grace and mercy for his forgiveness for all our iniquities, all our folly. Yes, we are sinners. But during Lent, we always look forward to Easter. For it is in Easter that our eyes are fixed because it is on Easter that the declaration is made that I love you so much that I send my one and only son to die for you and to redeem you from your sin. 
let us not forget who we still are in this season of Lent. We are still the beloved sons and daughters of God. May we not lose sight of that truth. May we not feel overwhelmed by any sense, a false sense of shame and guilt. No, the victory has taken place in Christ on that mountain on Calvary 2,000 years ago. Let us think of how we often live our lives. We have a beginning and we have an end. You can put a date when you were born, fix that number right now in your mind. I was born in 1982. And there's a time when I will depart this life. I don't know when that is. Each one of us has this timeline from beginning to end on this side of eternity. Life, though, is very short. In the grand scheme of things, in human history, in God's affairs, our lives are very short, very minimal. Life is precious. This in-between period is very, very precious. It is the one life that God gives to us on earth. That's it. And the question is, how do we live that life from beginning to end? A short life that goes very, very fast. I can't believe that I'm almost 40 It was like just yesterday, I was playing Pop Warner football at 12 years old, having my coach scream and yell at me, stop dropping the pass. Yes, time has moved quite fast and swiftly. It's in this period The question remains for you and for me regularly, who are we? Who are you? Who am I? Who are we? Because that's the question that keeps us going, gives us motivation and purpose each day to get up, to roll out of bed, to go along with our day motivated and charged with a sense of purpose and meaning, the question is, who are we? Because once we know who we are, there is a sense of significance, a sense of meaning to our day and to our lives as a whole. And that question we regularly ask throughout life, who am I? It's not just when you're in college, when you start beginning to think about that question of your identity. That might be the start when you're comprehending these questions, you're thinking more sophisticated, yes. But that question continuously comes to us, whether implicitly or explicitly, we ask ourselves, who are we? And the first answer to that question 
sometimes is I am what I do. And that's very real. I am what I do. I am a priest. I'm a teacher. I'm an engineer. I'm a composer. I am a librarian. I'm a businessman, a businesswoman. I am what I do. And with that, we have great success, possibly, in life. I feel good about myself because I'm a good ex. I've been a good ex. And even when we get old and we're no longer doing that, we look back at our lives and we say, I, I, you feel good about yourself. There's a sense of purpose because of who or what you've done throughout your life. All the accolades, all the trophies, all the accomplishments, we define ourselves tragically by what we do. But when I fail, I get down. I get depressed. I have a low view of myself because I've put all my eggs into that basket of what I do. And the older I get, I can say when I look back, geez, I wish I, have done, I would have done this. I would have been a better father, a better husband, a better friend, a better priest a better son, a, bre a better sibling. I am what I do. Or one might say, secondly, I am what people say about me. And this is very powerful, what people say about you, about me. In fact, it seems like it's sometimes the most important thing that drives us what other people say about us, when people praise us, when people compliment us, when people acknowledge our good deeds or goodness. It's as if we're waiting just to be affirmed, waiting to be accepted, just to hear some positive words said to us and about us. But then what happens when people criticize us? When people say negative things about us? When people speak behind us, behind our backs? What happens to us in those moments? We get down. We suddenly feel sad, depressed. There's a sense of loss and betrayal because we were depending on those words, those people's words. You can have a wonderful moment speaking before people as a priest, pastor. There could be hundreds of people in the room and after the service, many people can come after you and say wonderful things. You spoke to me. What a powerful message. What a powerful word. The Lord really used you. And then one person, one, can say something negative, and that's all you'll remember. This is true, not just for those on the pulpit, but anywhere in our lives. 
It seems like when people speak against me or you, that can cut deep within our souls. It hurts. If somebody says something really nice to you early in the morning, it can carry your day. If somebody says something negative to you early in the morning, that can also carry your day. And finally, I am what I have. I have a family. I have a good education. I have good health. I have a lot of things and collectibles. Records, toys, automobiles, homes, right? I am what I have, what I've possessed, all my possessions throughout my life, what I've accumulated, my degrees, all of my, all of my possessions. I am what I have. But as soon as we begin to lose some of those things, we get low, we get down, we can get depressed. I no longer have it. It's passing away. My age, my health, my family, my home, my money. I've lost my property. And we can slip into an inner darkness and deep depression because we long for the days when we had something because we've tied ourselves to our possessions. I am what I have. And what I want to tell you this morning, my dear brothers and sisters, is all of that is a lie. We can't be spending all of our day, all of our energy into I am what I do, I am what people say that I am, and I am what I have. If that's true, what happens is our lives are constantly like a roller coaster up and down. Constantly up and down. Because there's moments when we're high, if you will, because of the things we've done, the things that people have said about us, and the things that we possess. But then there's moments when we no longer have those things. No longer are we doing what we were so good at at one point. No longer are we hearing the praises and all the compliments from those people. And no longer do we possess those things, be it our youth, our wealth, our jobs. And you know, that's this roller coaster ride that we can avoid and we should avoid. When I'm productive, when I do good things, people praise me. And I feel good about myself. And when I have certain things, I feel good about myself. And when I no longer are receiving those things or have those things or doing those things, I become down. Am I speaking to someone today? Is the Lord speaking to you? Are you connecting in your own life these kinds of dots between this one life period, this zigzag, and what happens? One day we will die. We no longer will do something. We no longer will hear people say something. We no longer will possess something, at least on this earth, in this life. 
And what I want to say to you this morning, and that is a lie. This is not who you are, and this is not who I am. But who are you then? Who am I? What is the truth? What is the foundational principle by which you and I should be living and seeing ourselves as? Well, this is where we go to Jesus in today's reading. Mark first tells us that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, and as he was coming out of the water, the heavens tore, schizo, and the Spirit of the Lord, the pneumona, fell down upon Jesus, and then there was a voice declaring, you are my son, the beloved, agape. You are my son, the beloved, in you I am well pleased. A beautiful image. You can see it right as if it took place right before your eyes. Mark has written this such so eloquently. We can picture that scene. This Trinitarian epiphany where God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all manifesting before us. And as if you can hear the words yourself. This declaration of God's love for his Son. And think about it. Jesus has done nothing yet. Jesus hasn't heard one praise from anyone yet. And Jesus does not possess anything. And yet the Father still declares him his beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. Simply because he is his Son. That's it. Not because Jesus had done anything miraculous or good. Not because people praised him and said, Hosanna, Hosanna. Or called him a great teacher. No, or because he possessed anything. Simply because he was God's son. And then we read the same spirit leads him into the wilderness, a desolate place where there was temptation. Satan tempted him, and he was surrounded while wild beasts, and then the angels attend him. Unfortunately, Mark doesn't tell us what that experience was like in the temptation, in the wilderness, with those temptations. If we only had Mark, we would always wonder, we would always be questioning what was it like for Jesus in those 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, in that desolate, wild place. What was his experience like? What did he go through? What were those temptations like? But thanks to God, we don't have to wonder Matthew and Luke tells us exactly what takes place in the wilderness. And this is a message for you and for me this morning. Remember, Matthew and Mark tell us his first temptation was turn these stones into bread. Do something. Show me something. I want to see your marvelous deeds. Do something. Turn these stones into bread. Second temptation. Throw yourself off this temple. And God will send his angels. And before your foot strikes the floor, he will rescue you.
And possibly by being rescued, my goodness, look how special this person is. Maybe people see that the angels declare possibly what a wonderful person Jesus must be, the son of God. And finally, Satan shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says, all of this is yours if you bow down and worship me, proskeneo. If you fall on your face and worship me, I will give you these things, these possessions. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say to each one of these temptations? Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do not test your God. And he says, worship the Lord your God only. You see, Jesus knew that these were tests. Hebrews tells us he was tested in every way but never sinned. Jesus knew this was a lie that he had just heard just moments before that he was the beloved son of God. He had done nothing. He had heard nothing. He had nothing. Yet he was declared the beloved son of God. And he did not need to validate himself before Satan or the world of who he was. And that's the question for you and for me this morning. Why are we trying so hard for all of these validations, be it what we do, what people say about us, or what we have? That is not where our identity should be fixed in. Jesus knew that. Not only was he combating Satan, yes, but he was also teaching us something indirectly from that scene, I believe, is that you are who God says you are and not what Satan or anybody else places on you. Be it a career, be it a person or a thing, an object that one day we have and fleets away soon thereafter. Look at the contrast between God and Satan. God didn't ask him to prove himself in any way for his validation, for his affirmation, for his love. There he is, and before the world, his first, first public appearance, and God makes no mistake about it. For the world to know, you are my son, my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. And the same thing that is said to Christ is said to us. Please know this truth. Let this truth, this knowledge, be the foundation by which we carry our lives by. We are the beloved children of God now in Christ. And that is where our identity is in Christ. That is who we are at our essence. At the moment of our spiritual birth, we become sons and daughters of God, grafted in, adopted into the family of God, be it through adoption as a sign and a symbol, an outward and physical sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Now we are part of the people of God. That's who you and I are. That's a declaration. That is a promise from God, from him to you, to me. Do you know how much I love you? St. John also tells us he loved us before we loved him. And it's very hard because we have close people in our lives 
that don't do such a good job in loving us. And it's hard. Many of our relations throughout life are broken, are fragmented. Those personal relations, be it at home, in a marriage, or in your, if you have children, or if you have siblings, or parents, or employees, or employers, or coworkers, whoever they may be, often we get hurt by the things people say to us and do to us. And often we get hurt by the things we lose in this life and no longer have. Maybe we were really good at what we did one day. We were known in our field, in our business, to being one of the best. And we no longer have that position or are no longer in that trade. Or what about when we used to have all these trips, all these homes, all these goods, and we no longer have them. We no longer have our youth. We no longer have maybe even family members that we defined ourselves by. And Jesus is saying, through this through his temptations, is all of that is a lie. You are not defined by any of these things. You will be defined by your allegiance with me. And that will make our lives more constant and grounded and not a zigzag from outside sources. No, it is a voice. But you and I gotta hear that voice. That same voice that Jesus heard before he was baptized or after he was baptized, we have to hear that voice clearly and we have to claim it. We have to claim that truth for us. That's our identity. John tells us in his prologue, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, but born of God. St. Paul tells us likewise in Romans 8, 14. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Later in Galatians, for you are all my sons, are all sons of God through faith. And in 2 Corinthians 6, quoting 2 Samuel 7, now that prophecy is fulfilled. In the words, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. See the great love that God has given us, that we are the children of God. That's who we are. That's who we are and will always be, always And I asked myself, is this true? I had to test this. Is this true? Is this true, God, that I'm, I believe I'm, 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 I've studied your word. I think this is what I'm hearing from you. Is this true, God? And the first place I went, and I end with this, are my sons. I looked at my sons, Sebastian and John Paul, last night. And I asked myself this question. Why do I love them? Is it anything they do or don't do? 
Is it anything that others say about them? Be it good or bad? Or is it something that they possess that makes me love them? No. The sheer fact that they are my sons, I love them. Period. And nothing can change that. There's a singularity in the final analysis. That's what it is. I love them because they are my sons. And God loves you because you are now sons and daughters of God. And nothing will change that. Nothing in heaven nor on earth. Who can comprehend the depth of God, the width of God's love for us? No one can. No one can. And so, may we remember, whenever we begin to feel down and lose sight of who we are, claim it. I am your son, the beloved. And in me, you, Lord, are well pleased. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Minister to us, O Lord. In your name we pray these things. Amen.